Hello and welcome back to Mystery Wave, where when a wave of mystery comes in, the truth always comes crashing down. My name is Jake Thurmond, and we will be talking about the case of Emmett Till, and specifically the book talking about the lynching of Emmett Till. Now, the good thing about this book is it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily have a plot. It's not a book based on a plot. Is a book based on the around the facts of the Emmett Till case. Not even really the facts, more of the articles that were surrounding the time period, or, well, no, yeah, the time period. Uh, you, multiple articles, multiple authors. And it really helped shape the story of what was happening around the world during Emmett Till. And not only what was happening around the world in Emmett Till, but also how people were reacting to Emmett Till, which is something you don't really think about whenever you hear these stories. You think, oh, that was really sad, and you can think, but this is, it was history. So the people were living through this. And we don't really acknowledge that enough. And this book gives, it does a really good job of painting a picture where you're not just a person reading about history, but you feel like you are involved in it and you are reading stuff while it's happening. Even if you're, even if it's almost a century past the supposed event. So it's supposed to, the time limit is eight to 10 minutes. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to do it in that short amount of time because the case of Emmett Till is such, there's a lot of intricacies and there's a lot of story that is in here that can't, can't really be overlooked because it's all important, but I'm going to do my best. And so before I can get into the book and some of the articles and what they were talking about, I really, I really have to get into the story, which is going to be the first thing that we talk about. And it's going to be, this is using William Bradford Huey's story. Um, it's his, his telling of the truth of what, what happened during Emmett Till's murder uh, is the one that is widely believed, wide, widely believed, and the one that is most widely accepted and told to face to face. So the story is a long one, and it is and it is a long, intricate story that you it takes time to do, which is one of the reasons why I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this in eight to ten minutes, because it may take eight to ten minutes just to tell this story. So at the beginning, so you you have to go back to the very beginning, and so we're going to talk about Emmett Till. Emmett Till is a 14 year old boy who lives in Chicago. He's visiting his he's visiting his uncle, who is a priest in the town of Money Money Mississippi. Which, that's a tongue twister. You try to say it ten times fast. But, so, Emmett Till's a 14-year-old boy. Uh, is described by William Bradford Huey. He is about 5'4", 5'5". He is 160 pounds. And his uncle describes him as a grown man. Even though he is 14 years old, he looks like uh, a grown man. And so, he and his cousins are out. And they go to the store. They go to Roy Bryant's store. He is a... 24 at the time a 24 year old soldier or veteran who is very poor he's very poor no car no tv he lives in the store that he works at and to get a little bit more money he does work for his half brother uh jw milam now milam has a nickname 
and it's big myelin and this dude is six foot two 235 pounds all right he is a mammoth of a man and you can tell he's very patriotic we'll say uh, probably nationalistic but so William Bradford Huey goes into depth about what J.W. Milan is good at and what he is known for. For example, he Huey claims that Milan is an expert is an expert platoon leader, street fighter. He was great at night patrol, an expert with the grease gun during the war, and an expert with every close range killing device. Which I don't know if I'd put that on a resume, unless it's for like. The FBI, but it's on it. That's what he's got, and that's his. That's his. That's that's his, that's his skill. Good for him. Not really. He's a terrible person, but it's whatever. So J. W. Milam. He he and his family own a bunch of plantation cotton gins, and the like. So what he does. So what Roy does. Roy drives a few trucks to Milam, and on this specific night. He is driving a truck from New Or is he went to New Orleans with the truck. And so he and his he's left his wife and two sons by themselves. And so his wife, Carolyn Halloway Bryant, who is 21 year old years old at the time, uh, Huey describes her as five feet even, 103 pounds, with who is an Irish girl with black hair, black eyes. So um She's a young lady and really young, 21 years old, and she's manning a shop by herself because her, uh, yeah, the, and so she does not like sleeping at the store by herself, so she gets one of her in-laws to come and stay with her until one of the other in-laws, the male in-law, can come and pick them and their children up. On this specific night, Juanita Millam, which I would it doesn't go into the relationship. I don't know if she is Milam's husband or wife. Uh, I would assume it is one of it is one of Milam's half or one of Milam's sisters, one of Roy Bryant's half sisters, since Milam and Roy are half brothers. So I'm gonna refer to her as a half sibling to Bryant, and so she is like a half sister in law to Carolyn. So Carolyn is staying at home by herself, or at the store by herself, and Juanita is staying with her two sons in the back. And so Emmett Till and his cousins, who are all sons, grandsons, and nephews of their of Emmett Till's uncle, the priest, and I'll be referring to him as the priest, which is how he's referred to in the story. Um, so they all go down to the store where Emmett Till begins bragging about his success with white girls back in Chicago. Um, that comes into play a lot later on. So, because of this, that one of, one of his cousins is like, oh, you talk a big game there, Emmett Till. So, he dares him to go try and get a date with Carolyn Bryant. And he accepts, because everyone was 14 years old. 14 years old and stupid so he goes in and accepts he goes into the store he goes to the candy section and buys two cents worth of bubblegum where after he pays for it and 
Kirlin drops the gum into his hand. He grabs her hand and says, Hey, why don't we go on a date? She is not interested, to put it lightly, and jerks her hand away and starts walking rather quickly to Juanita. Emmett Till, he decides he's going to grab her by the waist and say, Oh, don't, don't be afraid of me as I'm grabbing you. Don't be afraid of me. I've been with white women before. I don't I don't think that consoled her because she, the face she put off made one of the cousins come inside and drag Emmett Till away where he executes the wolf whistles. What, and that's what the case ends up being known for is the wolf whistling case. So, Carolyn, she's no, she runs, she is running now, not to Karen, not to Juanita, to Juanita's car. Juanita drove to the store, and underneath one of the front seats was Roy Bryant's 45, was it 45? Hang on, I have to look at my notes. <laughs> no, it is the 38 Colt automatic pistol under the front seat. It is Roy Bryan's, and she runs out to the front of the store and grabs the gun. So, Emmett Till and his cousins, they end up driving away, and then Miss Bryant talks to Juanita after they leave, and they both agree to, they're going to keep it quiet, which, in this time period, you wouldn't think that would be right, but especially since they, these were black children, you can only imagine the horrors that would soon be real if they had told them immediately. Rumors spread rather quickly. This is a small southern town, so everyone is gossiping non-stop. So, Roy, when he comes back, it is Friday. Uh, he comes back that Friday before the murder, the murder that takes place on August 28th, 1995. So he is, that is a Sunday. So it is, it is August 26th at this point. So on August 26th, Roy Bryant hears about this from one of his neighbors. And they say uh, one of a black kid, nephew of the priest. And so there doesn't, that there, there's no room for air on who this guy is or who this kid is it has to be Emmett too so Roy Bryant confronts his wife and her and his wife tells her him everything that had happened and so you have to take into account the time period this is and you have to take into account where this is in the country you have to take into account uh what this would have what he was like at the time which was most likely racist they were in a racist part of the town and or race part of the country, and if he didn't do something to Emmett, some someone was going to do something to him, to Emmett, and maybe even Roy for allowing it. It would it's seen as a coward and foolish move just to let Till off without any sort of warning. So, but he can't do anything because he's poor. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have any way to do something about it. So whenever collection day from the cotton is when he would see J.W. Millam and Millam is driving and Roy brings him inside and Roy brings him inside and says hey I need a ride I need a ride somewhere real quick you don't have to do anything uh, you just I just need a ride and 
Milam is kind of upset. He doesn't want to. That's Sunday's really the only day he gets to sleep in, which is kind of weird because it's the South, so you would think church would be a big thing, but I don't know. That's his day to sleep in, all right? But after Roy tells him what happened with his wife, Milam's attitude immediately changed, and he said he's going to pick him up that next day early in the morning, and early ends up being around 12.30 a.m. He picks him up from the store. These men... The William Bradford Huey made sure it was very clear that these were not, it was not a spur of the moment drunk type ordeal. They were sober. Uh, he, Huey used the word stone cold sober. Uh, J.W. Milm had one drink and Roy Bryant had none. So they were, they were going to beat someone up completely fun that was the plan at least so roy roy gets picked up by Milam, and they drive out to the priest's home uh, where they knock on the door and the priest answers he's like hey what do you want they say we want till and they're like why do you want him he's like just bring him to us so they do uh the priest brings them till till is in shorts and that's it so they tell him hey go get some clothes on and so he throws on some he throws on a shirt he throws on some pants uh, he reaches for some socks. They tell him no. This is one of my favorite parts of the story just because, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, they say no, just shoes because they want to hurry this along because it's really late and they don't want, they really want this done by crack of dawn. And so Emmett looks at them and says, no, I don't wear shoes without socks and puts on his socks and shoes and they walk out. These guys were armed. They could have shot him right then and there and really no one could have done anything about it so he's uh, he is not scared of these guys at all which is very apparent later on in the story so they take him <clears throat> they take him and they a few stories had them going back to the store or had miss bryant with them to identify him but there was no way they would have needed to identify them that was one of that that's a big misconception in the stories because it was very clear that's it was the priest's nephew, which was Emmett Till. That was the only one visiting at the time. And everyone else were sons or grandsons. And that's not something to be confused. So they didn't identify Emmett Till. Um, and they drove him across the Tallahatchie River and to West. Millam had a spot that he wanted to take Till. He called it the scariest place in the Delta, which it was, it was a cliff. It was a 100 foot drop with once you meet the river down it's a hundred feet deep so if you fall you're dead you're not coming back from that so it, the plan the original plan was to take till take him to the edge of the bluff and then pistol whip him which uh fun fact huey made sure to include that pistol whipping was a court-martial offense in the in the army so had had they done that in the army they could have gotten kicked out even though it was it was really something that was used quite often but that's just a cool little tidbit so and they were going to pistol whip him and then they were going to shine a flashlight down in the down the cliff and show the drop and the water rushing down and basically make it seem like they're going to push him off and kill him even though that's not what they were gonna do, allegedly. So they're driving around, they drive for almost three hours, it's 5 a.m. at this point, 
and they could not find the spot. <laughs> so they could not find the spot, and they drive back to Milam's house, and they go behind the barn, and you know, they're kind of like, oh, I don't, what do we do now? We can't, we can't morbidly abuse this young boy. There, there's no cliff and so instead they take him out to the back of the barn they pistol whip him and then Millen remembers that there was an old cotton gin that got uh, new parts added to it and so one of the old fan was not being used so he tells Emmett Till he calls him Bobo that that's apparently Emmett Till's nickname is Bobo he says Bobo go grab the fan and Emmett Till just walks up he grabs the fan and he loads into the truck. They all get in the truck and they go down. They go down back across the Tallahatchie River, back down to the shore. So the shore, they're like, all right. And they start pistol with them some more. And this this is where it, it's re, it's a really really bad part. So Milam back at the barn when they were pistol whipping him Emmett Till was not afraid of them and it was very clear that he did not believe his life was in danger he did not think they had the guts to kill him the entire time while they were pistol whipping him he was he was very stone-faced uh one of his quotes not not a quote but he called them bastards multiple times he said uh that he was he was equating the two the three of them as the same because he had also had white girls and that his grandmother was white two very different things by the way uh but this enraged this enraged Millen because in a quote he says that he loves black people he did not use the word it's black people he used the n-word he said he loves black people and that he would never do harm for them if they were in their place and this this kid was not in their place and so he got angered because he was he's like you can't let them vote you can't let them have have sex with white white women and he was he was pissed he was upset he did not like it so he takes him down to the shore he takes him down the shore and he's like so you still think we're the same and Mattel says yeah and then he says so you've had white women implying that he's had sex with them and they and he says yeah and so i i shouldn't be laughing but i can't it's such it's such a stupid reason to kill someone obvious in the 21st century in 2020 right when i'm recording this it's such a stupid reason to kill someone just because a black man had sex with a white woman but that was so commonplace back then that it just baffles me and so whenever he said yeah i i did he took the gun and fired and when emmett till tried to dodge the bullet the bullet ended up getting right above his right ear, which is why he now has the bullet hole in the right ear, and he's dead. So, what and the, what, the worst part of this, probably, just because, why at that point, they take the fan, I understand why they tie the fan to Emmett, because it's to weigh him down in the water. What I don't understand is why they used barbed wire to tie it around his neck and then toss him in. It's not like he's going to experience any pain. He's dead. Was it just in case? And 
like there's there was no explanation it was barbed wire gin fan that's weighed roughly 75 pounds so says william bradford huey even though other reports said it was closer to 125 pounds either way that's a heavy fan and so they used barbed wire unnecessarily to wrap it around him tie it to tie him to the gin fan and then toss him 20 feet down into the river which didn't even do its job because 72 hours later a group of boys are fishing and they discover the body very easily only 72 hours later and it's Emmett of course it's Emmett and then there's nothing there's so they the, the two men had already been being held in contempt of kidnapping and they were waiting trial for that they had claimed that they had not hurt Emmett because they were not he was not the one that whistled at them at, or at Bryant's wife so they thought they were gonna get out of it and they were like oh it's kidnapping nah well they just so the next thing we're gonna talk about is the trial and how very very messed up the trial is because now that we know what most likely happened because no one can know for sure except for those three men and Milo and Bryant weren't talking to the media about it so we're gonna get into the trial next and the trial is not as crazy but it's still rather interesting just I don't know you'll see whenever we talk about it so the trial was something that was very interesting William Bradford Huey made a note that while not all of Mississippi agreed with Milam's actions a majority did, or, um, like, half the majority agreed wholeheartedly that that's what Milam should have done, and the other half, while they may have not agreed entirely on it, they may have said, you know, the barbed wire is a little much, or something like that, they didn't disapprove it enough to where they felt like they should be convicted of the murder, even though they should have been convicted of the murder, because that's, that's what they did. Anyways, they get they get a court they get a jury together. The jury's all white in in the heart of Mississippi, where a majority of Mississippi thought that it was fine. So you can guess how that went. After the trial, the jury was out about 60, 67 minutes, I believe. So it was a very short amount of time for a nationally coverage murder case. And while interviewing one of the jurors, they said that the only reason it took an hour was because they decided to go out for a Coke. They, they went to go get a drink. And it so they probably all went in there and said, so we think they did it. And everyone looked around. And they said, nah. And then they walked out. And that was it. That was that was the so they got off scot free, not guilty. And then, like, they walk out the door and they're like, man, I can't believe we got we got away with that murder. And everyone's like, wait, so you did murder them? And they were like, yeah. And they said, cool. What? It's not okay. It's so, it truly is, it's, fasc, it's fascinating and kind of scary how easily you could have gotten away with murder. 
because back then, because you, all you had to be was white, a guy, and then kill a black person, and you're free. In the South, it's that easy. And that's... And the civil rights movement has taken huge strides since then, so that's not the case anymore, thankfully. But back then, this, this, is, this is the thing that many people thought started the civil rights movement. The Emmett Till murder was so important to every, everyone, including the NCAAP. NAACP, which is the National American Association of Colored People, and they were angry, and rightfully so, because these men basically got off because it was a black kid. If this was a white kid, they would have been convicted and tried for death, for the death penalty, most likely, and instead, they, they got off free. And so, everyone's upset, obviously, and the South, they're taking, Mississippi especially, Jackson Daly, alright, if I can find the, no, not this one, right here in front of me, the Jackson Daily News is a conservative daily publishing where after the body was found, they made it out to, first off, they were like, oh yeah, no, we do not agree with these actions, but, and if there's a but after you say, I don't agree with a heartless murder of a 14 year old, you know, you probably don't mean it. So they say, we don't agree with what happened. But, do we think that the NAACP should be making this out to seem like a lynching? Because, and then they pointed to one in New York, uh, where a group of teenagers had burned the bottom of a black man's foot with cigarette butts. And they were like, they didn't call that a lynching. Well, they viciously beat him, and then they, we didn't call that a lynching. It's like... I mean, yeah, so they beat him up and killed him. You, this, this is not, this is not the same. This was not you, you pistol whipped a 14 year old. And then in case he wasn't dead, after you shot him in the head, wrapped barbed wire around his neck and then tossed, tossed the fan hooked him up to the van, and then tossed him into the river. Yeah, I think a lynching's a pretty good word for that. And so they're upset that they're using the word lynching, and they're making this out to seem like something of Civil War propaganda, where they're like, ah, oh, the North, they're, they're trying to take our segregation. Which they weren't. They quoted Emmett Till's mother, who is rightfully upset, that her son was murdered in cold blood. And they were like, she, she said that all of Mississippi agreed with it. And they were like, I mean, and they were like, yeah, you did let him go with very little, like very little struggle. So, yeah, and so they quoted her again saying that Mississippi was going to pay, and they were like, so should we all pay? Should the entire state pay for two men's actions? Because I guarantee you Chicago wouldn't fare very well with that. It was it was very, very bad. Jackson, <laughs> Jackson Daily News was not very good. Uh, 
going through because now now we'll get into the book a little bit based in using some of the stuff the book says on the trial so chicago defenders is based in chicago obviously and followed the emmett till story very closely because they were in emmett till was a chicago go chicagoian how do you how do you even say that he was from chicago so they were very invested in this case even though you know it, it happened what 300 miles away or something like that like it was not that's a far distance so they followed it very closely and so did the rest of america really um, and they were mainly defending emmett till and attacking the murderers like you should uh that was not Jackson Daily News would have liked to have some words with Chicago defenders. They they weren't very happy. Uh, Memphis Commercial Appeal, the author Christopher Metris. Christopher Metris, uh, he he really liked Memphis Commercial's appeals following the Emmett Till case. He doesn't believe, he did not believe that there was any other newspaper that took it as in-depth and as seriously as it was um so obviously you look at memphis commercial appeals and they go through all right he was found by they they didn't they said floyd his name wasn't floyd it was roger i don't even know how you make that mistake because those are two very different names but it happened but he was a fisherman and he was one of the fishers that that discovered the body and but they followed him they followed everything and every it was very in-depth and not as in-depth as huey's but huey's may not be real but it's the one that was widely accepted so that's why i decided to when i decided to tell um so next what we're going to get into next we're going to get into life after the trial, what happened with the civil rights movement, and what we're going to talk about Huey, what Huey did to the murderers, and what he wrote about them, because that's, it was really interesting, it, it wasn't interesting, it wasn't interesting at all, actually, in fact, it was just very, very sad, so we'll get into that next. So after the trial, the civil rights movement kicks off. You have a bunch of the sit-ins that happened. You have a bunch of the marches and stuff that happened. And really, it all spawned because of Emmett Till. Rosa Parks happened shortly thereafter, uh, about two months. Uh, which So a lot of people, there there was some, there well, there is right now some debate on whether it was Rosa Parks that sparked it or if it was Emmett Till. I lean towards more Emmett Till because it's more horrendous because he was brutally murdered than Rosa Parks, who was just unfairly jailed. So, you know, one of those is way worse than the other one. I'm just saying. But after the trial, Huey, William Bradford Huey, he he goes back to Money, Mississippi, and he follows what happened to the murderers. And so... 
a little background on William Bradford Huey. He is he lives in the South, but he's conservative and is against racial injustice. So he's one of the few like good Southern conservatives at the time who weren't about segregation. Uh, he wrote a ex- best-selling expose on another race-based killing called Ruby McCollum, Woman in the Swanee Trail, and that was in 1954, two years before he wrote the expose on what really happened, on the truth about Emmett Till's murder. But he goes back to Money, Mississippi, and he follows the, he follows the murders, and he, his, his goal was to basically find out what happened to them after they got acquitted of the murder of Emmett Till. And he basically writes how it ruined their lives, which, good. <laughs> I, I would hope they didn't get rich and flourish afterwards, because that would be terrible. But he basically writes how it ruined their lives, like, woe, woe is them. No. Um, black people would no longer work for either one of them, which, yeah. And they were kind of upset about that. Don't know why. I don't, I don't know what else you thought was going to happen. Then. But they were upset about that. So they were losing money. Bryant was already poor. So it was, it, their businesses kind of sank. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure they were fine. It doesn't really go farther than that. But it was... <laughs> it was pointless. It was a pointless murder. literally nothing else mattered uh so it was it was great it was a great it was a great book it was great it wasn't great it wasn't a great book at all it was very sad it was a very sad book uh I learned a lot I learned that I (laughs) I was very interested in the lynching of Emmett Till and I could talk forever about it apparently as I've shown in this podcast, which is only supposed to be 8 to 10 minutes, and it's going to be more like 30. It was a great book. I just, it's hard, it was hard to do a podcast for because it was all just articles and not really plot. But that's okay. That's okay. It was a great book. I liked it. Uh, and not that Emmett Till died because he did a stupid 14-year-old thing, which... Is terrible. It's just it's it's just a sad story. I can't you can't there's nothing else to say about it. There's it's just it's just a sad story. And if I could express emotions correctly instead of laughing at them, uh, it would not be, it wouldn't it would it would this would be a much different podcast. It's it was a terrible thing, and neither of the murderers got exactly what they deserved. Uh, and it sparked the civil rights movement that ended up, you know, someone, someone had to die to progress the civil rights movement enough where black people were able to register for to vote in the South. Segregation was abolished and it just so happened to be Emmett Till, which sucks. You kind of, you, you wish that it didn't have to come to that, but it did, which is terrible. And... You know, this kid, this kid never got to live out his life. He died at 14 years old. He he never had to. He never got to start a family. He never got to get a job. And they took that away from him unfairly. 
and it's and it's terrible. He was more of a martyr for the civil rights movement than he needed to be. And it's it's just a sad story. Is funny at some parts, but mainly it's just a brutal, brutal story that is, it just shows how screwed up as a country we used to be and how much better we have truly gotten that this kind of stuff doesn't happen and people are just kicked back out in the street as if it didn't. But that's it. That, that's the story of the lynching of Emmett Till documentary narrative even though the book wasn't exactly a book, more as a compilation of a bunch of articles and songs in chapter six that I didn't really talk about because they didn't really have much merit, much merit to the, to the story of it, which is what I focused mainly on. It was a sad story. And I've said that so many times now, but that's, It's something that you wish doesn't have to happen to get progress in society, but sadly it was something that did have to happen. And it it, ha- it did progress society enough to where it doesn't happen anymore. You just, it's just sad. So that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Stick around for more episodes because I may be doing those because this quarantine sucks. But this is way longer than it should have been anyways. So I'm going to end it right there. I will see you all sometime if I ever do this again. I didn't think I was going to do it again, but here I am. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Who knows? All right. The tide is receding. The mystery is solved. <laughs>